0: So we are in chapter 2 of the prophecy of Malachi, and here we have been going through and seeing this incredible word that this prophet gives, this oracle that he gives uh, from the word, uh, this word of the Lord that Malachi gives. As we noted a couple of weeks ago, Malachi might not actually be a proper name. Malachi literally just means messenger of Yahweh. So here we have a word from the Lord given by this perhaps even unknown messenger of the Lord. As he is giving this incredible word to God's people. And it represents, as we've noted, this sort of last word. The last word before 400 years of silence between the Testaments. Between the Old and the New Testaments of Scripture. And here, as we've already seen, Malachi has directed much of his attention at the priests. He began in chapter number one, verse six, with this diatribe of sorts, this direct address to the priests that were working in the temple, noting how often and how gravely they profaned the worship of the Lord in the Lord's house. He began that there, and he continues it here in chapter number 2, verse 1. He continues with much of the same fervor and energy, and I would even say with much of the same urgency for these priests to wake up, so to speak. Notice as he says, And now, O priests... This commandment is for you. I'm talking directly to you. You who have control and, yes, have the charge of the Lord's word in the Lord's house. These words you ought to perk up in here. Only this time, even as before, he opened up the wounds, we might say. In chapter number one, he continues by, we could say, aggravating some of those wounds that the priests might have, some of the guilt that might be in the backs of their minds by just reminding them of some of the consequences and some of the scope of their failure. We noted in chapter number 1 just how gravely they failed the charge that God had given them. How they had corrupted the Lord's table. Instead of leading people and exalting the name of the Lord with honor and fear. One of the ripple effects of the priest's failure was just botching their calling. As it says... As the prophet calls them out for. They actually appear to rather despise the word of the Lord. These. Imagine something as egregious as that. This prophet coming to priests and telling those. Whose chief calling is to uphold the word of the Lord. That they actually. They don't at all. They just despise it. And that's. His charge to them. That's this prosecutu- this prosecution that he gives to these priests. And he says it is precisely because they're not listening. As he says in verse 2 of chapter 2. If ye will not hear and if ye will not lay it to heart. To give glory unto my name saith the Lord. I will even send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Yea I have cursed them already. Because ye do not lay it to heart. They might be saying something. But it's not getting into the roots of the problem. It's not reaching their hearts. It's not reaching their souls. This commandment of the Lord. They may be professing it with their mouths. But they're not either practicing it with their lives. Or preaching it to themselves. To their own souls. And the sobering facts of this blunder, of this failure to lay God's word to heart. The sobering fact is that it didn't just stain the priests. The problem didn't just stay with the priesthood. It didn't stay in, so to speak, the leadership of the Lord's house. Actually, what the prophet Malachi does in this particular chapter is just show not just the priests but the whole people of God this sort of cascading series of indictments. These words of prosecution that sort of build on one another. Which is just to say that the failure of God's people in one area trickled and ballooned its way into another area and then another. And it was affecting all of these different people. The failure of one affected the other. There's that kind of tried and true sentiment that your sin is not just Your sin, it has far-reaching consequences and effects. And it has side effects that threaten even those that are around you. I'm reminded at this particular juncture, perhaps it's not in the prophet's mind, but it was in my mind as I was reading and seeing this sort of growing sort of stage of prosecutions laid against the people of God. I was reminded of Joshua chapter 7 and the sin of Achan. If you remember that story, it's not just his failure. He's not the only one that goes to the grave because of his failure. Yes, he and all his kin are punished too. Your sin is not just your sin, it affects others. Your failure has side effects. And I don't think we often think about those side effects, those ramifications, often enough. But as God's word shows us, our sin doesn't just stay with us. And in fact, as the prophet's words, I think, say to us here, that when God's people, especially those in the church, when they fumble their calling, so to speak, as God's people, the very chosen ones who were chosen to be the salt and light of the earth, there are far-reaching consequences that leave indelible marks on those who are around them. And I think that's what the prophet does here. I want to show you these. uh, I've kind of classified or categorized the the three sort of diatribes that the the prophet goes on here in this particular, particular chapter into three different sections. And each section sort of builds on one another. The failure of one group leads to the failure of another, leads to the failure of another. And these consequences, I think, are ones that we still see in effect even today. Which leads me to number one, as we begin here, the incompetency of the priests. The incompetency of the priests, again, as he lays this charge before the priesthood, those who were specifically chosen to lead God's people according to God's word, he informs them, again, of this scope of their failure, how egregiously they have failed their calling as those who are supposed to be leading God's people according to God's word. As he says, if you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. I have already cursed them already because ye do not lay it to heart. As we noted from the previous chapter, the priests had already begun sort of fostering and nurturing a very uh, dishonorable culture of worship, we might say. One that was uh, wholly uh, irreverent towards the things of the Lord and the Lord of hosts himself. If you remember, they were uh, okay with offering less than holy sacrifices on the altar of the Lord's table. Those, as he even has said, that are blind and lame and sick. Those that were against the Lord's words. These priests were okay with allowing to be sacrificed in the Lord's house. Just as a fruit Of the complete dishonor and lack of reverence. And we could say holy fear of who it is that these people are coming to worship. Instead of honor and fear, as the prophet says in chapter 1 verse 6, there was indifference, there was contempt. The the people of the Lord weren't conscious of who it was they were worshiping. And in fact, the prophet here affirms in this particular chapter that the priests, they were the culprits of this. They had led to this. Their failure to uphold just the seriousness and the weight of their calling led to this lack of reverence by the people of God. They failed in this calling as priests to nurture and care and guard the word of the Lord in all of its sacredness, in all of its importance. I'm reminded that as priests, priests are, is the very calling that God has given to humanity from the beginning of time. If you go back, you don't have to, but if you read in Genesis, the calling with which Adam and Eve were given to care and tend for the garden is essentially exactly what the priests were doing in the temple. They were priests of the Garden of Eden, if you will, with this Covenant that they were given to nurture and care for that which God had given to them. This beautiful immaculate paradise. And they too failed in their priestly calling. And here we have the very priesthood of the, of the people of God failing in like manner. Failing their calling to guard the word of the Lord. And here the prophet proceeds to expose the hearts of these priests, that they were far more vile than they led on as they continued in this resistance to, uh, to confess their own failure. It brings further words of reproach, reproach from the prophet as he uh, has already laid to bear in verse 2 that they've already begun to feel some of the curses that God is about to lay down on them. And yet he even here, he proceeds to even exacerbate that a little bit further, that their shame is going to be very shameful. <laughs> Public humiliation, as he says in verse 3, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. Those who carried themselves, these priests, <laughs> they carried themselves as The agents of what is clean and righteous and good. They were carrying themselves as the messengers of what is pure and holy and true. And what is the prophet's words to them? They have dung on their faces. (laughs) They're not clean at all. They are a stinking image of what they ought to be. And all of their failure, they have dung spread across their faces and spread across their feasts. Meaning all of what they do is tainted with sin and marred by unholiness. Their faces and even their worship, all of their services for God is tainted by their failure. It's a stinging indictment by the prophet to be sure. And I think it's meant to. It's meant to prick. It's meant to injure these priests. As he endeavors to show them what they did with their calling. What did they do with that which God had given them? This beloved, beautiful covenant to guard and nurture the words of the Lord they had just let fall to the wayside. And now God wasn't even, wasn't even honoring, wasn't even receptive, wasn't even accepting of their worship. Why? Because they had just so apathetically handled the covenant God made with them. That's what we get to in verse number 4. As the prophet says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and of peace. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth. Was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and in equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. Here, Malachi he alludes to this covenant that God made way back at the very beginning, back when the people of God were being separated and led out in the Exodus out of Egypt. And at about that time, when he made this covenant with the tribe of Levi, that they were to be the priests. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister unto him and to bless in his name unto this day. That's the covenant that Malachi is referring to. That's the idea that God has specifically chosen this group of Levites to be his special priests. Those who were called out to to be especially guarding and careful about not only their conduct, but how they nurtured that conduct into the lives of others. He had given them this charge, as he here references, the charge of upholding the law of truth. And as they did so, as he says as they walked in peace and equity, they would bring many into a right fear of the one true God. Such was their charge, their ministries, he says in verse seven, the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for the mes- for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's the ministry of the priests in a nutshell. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's referencing in these four verses, verses 4 through 7. He's reminding them what their calling was. It's a calling of seriousness and weight to uphold this law of truth before the people of God. That was their chief responsibility. That word keep. Sometimes the King James fails us in his translation. (laughs) A more and perhaps a better word is to protect and guard. It has this very weighty seriousness to it. It's not just keep, but it's guard with your life. Guard as though you are one who is called into the service of the Lord of hosts himself. That's what the priests are. They are guardians of the wisdom of God. That was their unique mandate. Mandate. As he says at the end there that they are the messengers, literally the ambassadors of the Lord of hosts. They stand as sort of the royal guard of the court. You can imagine those who are chief among all of the other guards in the Lord's army. Those who are closest to his royal throne. Those are the ones who are uniquely given the charge to do everything they can to keep and protect and nurture this wisdom of God in the lives of others. And this is precisely where they failed. Notice verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way. You can see exactly what Malachi's frustration is. Here's their calling. Here's what you were supposed to do. Here's what you were called to do as the Lord's priests, the Lord's guardians, the guardians of the word of the Lord. But ye have departed out of the way. Instead of, notice... Instead of causing many to flourish, instead of causing many to be uplifted and to grow in the things of God. Notice he says, ye have caused many to stumble at the law. And ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people. According as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. What an utter failure. What what an indictment on these who are called especially to cultivate and guard this covenant that God had given them. And rather than do that, rather than nurture it as though one is tending the fields that they have been given, yes, now they've allowed them to rot, to go into decay, to go into ruin. And rather than turn people away from iniquity, as was given in the covenant to the priests, instead they've caused many to stumble. They've led people into the ditch. They did not keep the commands of God. And indeed not totally as he says at the end of verse number 9. But they've been partial in the law. They've been fragmented in their devotion. Only partially have they followed God's words. His incompetence all the way through. As they've let the calling of God just fall through their fingertips. They've utterly fumbled this mission that God has given to them. And this has a direct result on the people of God. This failure of the priest. The incompetency of the priest. Notice as he shifts in the next verses. Because this leads to something even perhaps even more serious. In terms of magnitude. Because he goes from talking about the incompetency of the priest. To now talking about, number two, the infidelity of the people. The infidelity of the people. Because in verse 10, notice what he says. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. Here and down through verse number 16. The prophet Malachi is going to address not just the priests. But now the people of God as a whole. Addressing them collectively. As he says, every man has profaned this covenant that God has made with them. And how have they done so? Well, his charge is a curious one. And you'll notice this word which appears in verses 10 and 11 and 14 and 15 and 16. Notice what he says again. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously. And an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. You'll notice that word treacherously occurs again in 14 and 15 and 16. And he's getting at the heart of his accusation. The heart is the seriousness of their failure. The, the failure of the priests has led to, we could say, treacherous living by the people of the Lord, which is just what it means treasonous, unfaithful living. The priests debacle and failure to uphold their calling uh, results in the hearts of the people of God being turned to treason being turned to ruin and this the prophet says is evidenced by the people's disregard for the Lord's word as he goes through here what he's calling out is this shameless acceptance and approval of intermarrying with those from strange lands, as he would say. Those who hail from wor- the worship of strange gods, as he says there in verse 11. They profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath, inter- uh, hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord, he says and continues, will cut off the man that doeth this. The master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this ye have done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore or receiveth it with good will at your hand. They've plunged themselves into into infidelity. The priests allowing the covenant of God to be broken, to be fractured, by allowing strange gods to come in and affect, and we could even say infect the people of God through that uh, pagan worship. And again, this is something God has warned about many ages ago. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Here we are once again warned. The people of God are warned against this very thing from the very beginning at this giving of the covenant. They are warned of what this would do. Deuteronomy 7 verse 3 says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them, thy daughter. Thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. He's very serious about this calling. It's a calling to purity and to fidelity to the things of the Lord. To guard the worship and the hearts of God's people. He gave this as a part of the covenant. Not to fall into the intermarrying of those from strange lands. And yet... What do we find even in Malachi's contemporaries? Go with me to Ezra. Ezra chapter 9. As you might know, Ezra was somewhat around. We could have him, he's placed, uh, Malachi is placed sort of the end of Ezra, the, or the, the, in the tail end of Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 9, notice how he calls out the people of God for this very same thing. Ezra chapter 9 verse 1, now when these things were done the princes came to me saying the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of lands doing according to their abominations even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hands of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. So it's not just the people specifically, but it's the priests most egregiously. They have taken, a part, uh, taken part in this failure. Nehemiah likewise, go to Nehemiah chapter 13, a few pages over. Nehemiah chapter 13, he calls out the people of God for the same thing. Nehemiah 13 verse 23 says, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who is beloved of his God and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you who do all this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? (laughs) You can see what he's getting at. What both and all of these words of the Lord are getting at. It's not... It's not some sort of racial thing, so to speak. It's not that God is prejudiced against those of other nationalities. It's a theological thing. It's a covenantal thing. By allowing this sort of door to creep open, by allowing your sons and daughters to intermingle with those of other lands, as he says, strange and outlandish lands of those who hail from pagan gods, you allow the people of God to be, uh, yes, adulterous in their worship and in their faith. And the result of which, as we've noted in Ezra and Nehemiah and throughout all of the history of God's people, the result of this little door being creeped open is a massive jettisoning of God's word out of the hearts of the people. That's what it results in. That's what Nehemiah is calling out, what Ezra is calling out. And what God's people were warned of of, of very early on. And it's interesting how Nehemiah, even so many centuries removed from the failure of Solomon, he brings the people's minds just back to that moment. You might remember 1 Kings chapter 11 is that particular moment wherein the the people of God are brought into ruin. Solomon, the greatest, the wisest king who ever lived, who brought Israel to the peak of its power, what is he undone by? His failure to keep himself pure and aligned with the covenants of the Lord. It is still wreaking havoc on God's people to this day in Malachi's day. This failure to abide by the word of the Lord. Here, listen to what he says in verse 14, Malachi 2.14. Yet, ye say, so he lays out this charge against them. Your failure for dis- in your disregard of the things of the Lord has resulted in this. And yet, ye say, he says, wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore, one, that he might seek a godly seed." Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garments, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously any more. The people's willful intermarriage with those whom God had forbidden is just a consequence of their, in their adulterous hearts. It shows just how, uh, how much they were living in infidelity and unlawfully according to the words of the Lord. Running counter to all that God had commanded. This is the fruit of Of a deep dilemma that is abiding in the hearts of God's people. That God's word was being flatly ignored. So we can see here the lack of reverence in the house of the Lord. Led to a lack of regard in the people of God. The incompetency led to infidelity. And now even, even perhaps even worse than all of that it leads to lastly. The inversion of the principle so we have the incompetency of the priests leading to the infidelity of the people. Leading ultimately to the inversion of the principle. Listen to the words of the prophet at the close of the chapter. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? Wherein ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of Of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, where is the God of judgment? The words of the prophet here are devastating, bringing to bear the awful effects of when God's word is ignored. All of this inattention to the things of God, this irreverence, all of this has led to God being just drained by their words, by their ceremonies. When he says he is wearied by their words, he is just tired of their talk. The priests and the people, their religion was just one of words only. It's like coming into church and appearing good and saying you'll do better. And then you walk out the doors and have no care or regard for the things that you have just promised or vowed to do. It's just a lot of talk. And God says, I'm wearied by it. I'm exhausted by it. I'm exhausted by those who think that they can just talk and that's all I'm looking for. There was no substance. There was no reverence. It was just a show. It was just a charade. And this was evidenced by their insistence that God took delight in those who were doing evil. Again, as he says... How have we wearied him? How have we exhausted him? Because you've inverted the very principle of God. As he says, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. This is a full-blown affirmation of treachery. This is treason at its core. Where now, instead of promoting God's holiness, they're actually calling unholy things holy and holy things unholy. It's inverting the very principle upon which God's word stands. That he is the God of holiness who loves holiness. And here the people and the priests are spitting upon this covenant of the Lord, leading to infidelity and disloyalty. And now, not just failing to promote the goodness of God's word, they're actively promoting its opposite. Here they are making an effect, making war against what they were duly charged to uphold. It reminds me of that verse in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Where the prophet calls upon the people of God for calling evil good and good evil. You know, I think all of this, this entire chapter is one that we ought to take to heart very seriously, very significantly. Because I think what's happening within churches all across this country, even right now, is similar in many ways to what the prophet here is declaring and calling out. I think the American church has sufficiently inverted the principle of God's holiness. I think that's why you get churches and even, yes, entire denominations affirming and promoting and upholding everything that runs counter to the clear commands of God's words. You have churches openly accepting those of homosexual lifestyles to be priests and preachers in their midst. You have a failure to call out egregious sins by those who are leading the church. And all of this failure, it keeps going back to, yes, the very people of God who have gradually and gradually over the decades accepted and approved of even more perversion. With now the very things of God that he detests, that he abhors, that he hates being, quote-unquote, okayed and now even promoted by those whose charge is to keep knowledge. That's what the church is for. Again, as we've noted before, I think when Malachi calls out the priests, yes, he's speaking to men like myself, whose charge it is to uphold the words of the Lord. But it's not just preachers that I think he has in mind. Because again, we are all the priesthood of the believers, as we know from the New Testament. He's calling out the church. I think the truth of God is in the gutter, and I think it got there because of the church. Because it's failure to uphold it. It's failure to keep it in the center of all that it says and does. The recent trend of churches and church leaders being exposed as predators and frauds and charlatans, I think, is a a result of God's weariness with us. Indeed, if I can say this, I think the American church is getting caught with some dung on its face. I think that's what's happening in this current moment. And yet, instead of repenting, what do we often see the church doing Instead of repenting at the feet of this Lord of hosts who has given the church this charge, who has given the leaders of the church this incredible message to preach, what do we find them doing in the face of this humiliation? We find them bowing to the whims of the culture and trying to save face. I think, but all that is doing is just smearing the dung everywhere. (laughs) What is our resort? What is our What is our hope? What is our calling? The perhaps unsaid but hinted at hope of Malachi. As he's getting to the promise of the son of righteousness as he's going to reference him in chapter 4. It is of course the Lord Jesus, the savior from all of our failure. But I was thinking as we come to the end of this particular chapter, chapter 2. The question that came to my mind, what then are we to do? That's the right question. Instead of as the people of God were asking the question, how have we tired the Lord with our services? The right question is, what are we to do? Or as Paul says, who can save us from these bodies of death? Romans chapter 7. With that beloved answer, blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. We, like the people of Malachi, or the people Malachi addresses, are forced to see that our only hope is, yes, ironically found in the very one we have spat upon. The very one that the people of God have ignored. He's the one in whom all of their hope is found. The Lord of hosts himself. And it is only as we bow in reverence in penitential fear at the feet of this one who is the one true God that all our treachery is taken away. And then we are made whole. Because God in Christ has made a way for us to be rescued. He's made a way for us to be pulled out of the miry clay from that pit of dung and destruction. He's called us out of that. And the way out is just simply repent and believe. That's what we are called to. That's what the people of God are being called to. Again, as most prophets, what is the prophet doing? He is calling out the people for a specific reason. He's calling them out to make things right. He's leading them on the road to repent and believe. And you see, the, the thing is, most of the time we don't want to open up that door. Like the priests, we're very closed off to this idea that we could have failed the Lord. How have we done this? Where have we we wearied you? Where have we despised you? Where have we gotten off track? You see the irony of repentance is that. You're acknowledging what God already knows about you. He sees and he knows. The profanity that lives within our souls. Within our minds. Within our hearts. He sees that corruption that's on the inside. And so repentance is just being honest. With what he already knows. knows. It's being honest with the one who has made you. That's what the prophet is calling the people of God to. Being honest with the Lord of hosts. Who has called them out. And called them yes to a holy calling. To uphold and yes to keep knowledge. And I would say even at this particular moment. He has called us the church to the same calling. How are we guarding the wisdom of the Lord how are we keeping it center in all that we do and say not just here in the church amongst its functions but out in the midst of the lives that we live amongst those in whom we live with how are we guarding the word of the Lord in our hearts in our minds in our actions my prayer is that we as Stonington Baptist Church would be given the humility and the grace to see how much, yes, perhaps even we have failed that calling, but how much we have a hope in the one who has given us this calling. And as we go out and live our lives as the priests of God, may we keep that knowledge central, first and foremost. May we, Learn from the failure of these priests to, yes, reverence and fear the Lord, to keep knowledge, to uphold the words of the Lord, and to lead the people of God, as it says there in verse number six, in, pre, in peace and in equity. May that be our calling. May God and his grace lead us along the way. Let us pray.